Well, I want to welcome you this morning. We uh, are going to continue our study this morning in the Gospel of Mark, if you want to turn there. And we have been, we have been reading about a, a lot of really cool miracles. And in fact, I want you to think about some of those, some of those really exciting miracles in the Bible. Have, have you ever wished that you could see one? A lot of nodding heads. I have. Have you ever thought to yourself, if only I could see one of the miracles that Jesus did in person? I mean, I think that would really strengthen my faith. I have. I, I mean, wouldn't it be cool to see a leper, you know, that we looked at last week, appendages gone, lips, eyelids, noses rubbed off? Wouldn't it be cool to see him completely restored at the command of Jesus right, right before our eyes? Wouldn't it be exciting to see someone with a bona fide case of paralysis stand up right in front of us? And the blind to see, the deaf to, made to hear. How about seeing someone raised from the dead? That would be pretty, that'd be pretty exciting. You know, uh, right at a funeral. S stop the pallbearers, uh, lift the coffin lid, lid and, and see the dead person Sit up. How about demon possession? Wouldn't it be something to see someone flopping around on the floor, foaming at the mouth? It's in the Bible, right? And, and, and speak a word and watch the demon leave. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great to see Jesus take five loaves and two fish and, and feed 5,000 hungry men? To, to see him stand up in the middle of a hurricane and say, peace, be still, and watch the winds come to an immediate and abrupt halt and see the ocean become like glass. Wouldn't it be cool then to walk on that water? <laughs> Again, we are studying Mark's gospel together, and we're seeing Jesus do some rather amazing miracles, driving out demons, healing people of whatever illnesses they may have had to include the dreaded disease of leprosy, and we have been impressed Hopefully a little bit more than impressed, we're supposed to be asking the question, who is this man? And we're supposed to be coming up with only one answer. This is the Christ, the very Son of God. This is Mark's purpose. This is, after all, the, the primary purpose of the miracles, to demonstrate Jesus' authority to prove who He was. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. In fact, He is, was God in the flesh. But again, have you ever wished that you could see one of those miracles? You ever feel like that you're living at the, at the wrong time? If, if I could have been one of those who walked with him, if, if I could have seen him, if I could have heard him and watched a miracle, then my faith would be stronger. I wouldn't, come on, let's just be really honest, I wouldn't have the doubts. You ever had any of those? I know Jesus told Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I, I know that. But come on, seeing is believing. I have some really good news for you this morning. Jesus still does miracles today. In, in fact, he still does the most amazing, the most mind-boggling, the most stupendous of, all, of miracles of all time all around us every day. We read about it in our text in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Look at it with me. When he, that is Jesus, said, 
come back to Capernaum several days afterward, uh, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. This is going to be a good miracle, right? I mean, already, this is kind of exciting. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, is going to be good, son for a drum roll, said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's a little... That's a little confusing. Why don't we get to the exciting stuff? Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, <laughs> read their minds and said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. <laughs> but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone. So they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Like what? And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. This is, this is amazing. They had no issue, you see, with the paralytic walking. They took issue with this, this guy's sins being forgiven because this, you see, was, this was the greatest miracle of all because only God can do that. Have you ever felt left out? Ever felt like you'd really like to see a miracle that you're just living at the wrong time? I have some really great news for you this morning. Every time Jesus forgives sins, he performs the greatest miracle of all. When he said to you or someone that you know, your sins are forgiven, he performed the greatest miracle. He did something that only God can do. Y yes, Jesus can still heal people. He can still calm storms if he wants to. He can still drive out demons, but he can this morning meet your greatest need. He can still forgive your sins. He can still give you a clean conscience. He can still take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is an incredible miracle. The message today is absolutely amazing. Jesus forgives sins. Let's look at the story together. While it is another miracle story, it actually transitions us to the rising opposition that Jesus is going to face. This is actually the first of five stories that is going to lead to the religious leaders seeking to destroy Jesus. They're actually going to seek to kill him. And that as early as Mark chapter 3. I've got this outline. We're really just going to make our way um, through this amazing story. Then we're going to see Jesus return to Capernaum and the plight of the paralytic. And then we're going to see this incredible spiritual miracle that we just kind of breeze right through to get to the real miracle, right? And then we'll see the physical miracle. Last week, 
Uh, we saw after Jesus healed the leper, contrary to Jesus' command, uh, the, the man went around telling everybody ab about this miracle. As a result, Jesus could no longer go publicly into the cities, but he had to stay out in the, in the unpopulated areas. And there, the crowds, all the sick people, quite a kingdom he was building, and they, they came out to see him. And at some point, several days later, Mark says Jesus returned to Capernaum. Now, by now, we know that he, made, he had made Capernaum the base of his Galilean ministry. But, but he was too popular to, to be hidden upon his arrival. And so people, they head out in droves to the house, probably Peter's house. So many gathered. So, so many were there that there was no room in the house. Not, not even near the door. They're all crowded around outside the door. And we read that Jesus was speaking the word to them. That is likely what we read about in chapter 1, verse 15. He was speaking the message of the kingdom of God. He was saying that you need to repent and believe in the gospel. That is, you need to believe in the good news of God's salvation. And now, we understand that that culminates in the work of Christ on his cross. This is the setting. Big crowd. Jesus teaching the word. Which brings us, that's, again, that just sets us up. It brings us to the plight of the paralytic. Four men came carrying this paralyzed man to see Jesus. It seems obvious that Jesus could do something about the man's physical condition. I mean, word had spread everywhere that Jesus was this uh, miraculous healer. Maybe, the man thought, I can get a miracle. Maybe, the men thought, we can see a miracle. If the greatest miracle is seeing Jesus take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. If the greatest miracle, as I'm suggesting this morning, is seeing Jesus forgive someone's sin, maybe, maybe if we want to see a miracle, we should be bringing dead people to Jesus. Maybe we should be doing whatever it takes to bring people who don't know Christ into his presence so he can touch them. So they came. They were unable to get near because of the crowd. By the way, the word crowd is used like 37, 38 times in, in this particular book. And almost always in a very negative con uh, way, a negative, with a negative connotation. Because you see, in this case, the crowds were preventing someone who needed Jesus to get to him. The crowds never really committed to Jesus. In fact, the crowds, by the end of the book, are going to turn on Jesus. Most houses then were single story, and if they did have two stories, the second floor was usually this large open room, sort of kind of a meeting area. We remember later in Jerusalem, they would observe the Last Supper in that kind of upper room. Regardless, one story, two story, don't know, this house, the roof would have been flat, where people would, would go to cool down in the evening, no central air. It was like the outside decks that we have attached to our houses today. Usually, there were stairs that led to the roof from the out, not from the inside, but from the outside. So we read that these four men carried this, their paralytic friend up to the roof to, to make a hole big enough to lower the man down on his bed. It was either a cot or a, or a mat. So what we have here is a paralytic lying on a bed. Now, we don't know if he was a paraplegic, paralyzed from the waist down, or a quadriplegic from the, from the neck down. I, I prefer that one because there was absolutely nothing he could do about his condition. 
In some way, he was paralyzed. What caused his paralysis? We don't know. People were paralyzed then, much the same way that they are today. Maybe he had had an accident. Maybe he broke his neck, severed his spinal cord, which left him in this state. Maybe he was born that way with some debilitating disease that caused paralysis. Maybe because medical technologies then were so limited, he had some minor disease or virus that wrecked the central nervous system. Little things today that we can take a pill for would actually do this, leaving him an invalid. We're not given here enough information. But we need to stop and notice something at this point. This is an unusual story. This is not the normal healing routine. You see, at this particular point in the narrative, this particular man's sin is called out. Now, we understand that sickness and death are the result of sin, generally speaking. And sometimes, frankly, it is a result of specific sin. And I wouldn't like to hear that, but sometimes we may actually be sick because of specific sin. Jesus heals someone in John chapter 5, and then he tells them, now you stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The implication is what had happened to you was because of some specific sin in your life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we, we read there that the, the, some people in the church of that church were sick. Some of them had even died because of their disregard for brothers and sisters in the Lord's Supper. In James chapter 5, we read when we're sick, we're supposed to call for the elders of the church. And very interesting, interestingly, in this context of, of healing prayer, James said, and, and while you're there, confess your sins. And if you have sin, you'll be forgiven. It kind of comes out of left field. What are you you're talking about healing? You throw in sins. Unless, unless James is leaving open the possibility, if you have sinned, your sins will be forgiven. He's leaving open the possibility that a specific sin may cause, not always, hear what I'm saying, may cause a specific sickness. So, why in this healing does Jesus mention this man's sin? He hasn't done that before. He's been healing people left and right. Bring this guy in, and Jesus is going is to point out his sin because it's very it's very possible that this man brought on his own problems. It's very possible. It's very possible that everyone knew it. It's very possible that this man was paralyzed because of his own sinful lifestyle. We don't know for sure. It's possible. I would even go further and say it's likely. Jesus is making a point. One thing we do know for sure, I made reference to this last week when we talked about the leper. We need to remember that people like this, with this type of sickness, were outcasts in society. Because then, if you were sick, with this kind of debilitating sickness, you were, a, you were the consummate sinner. You're an ultimate sinner. And so people like this, lepers, paralytics, were seen as the dregs of society who likely were getting what they deserved. Again, commonly held that this kind of sickness was the result of somebody's sin, right? Somebody did this. Someone was responsible for his condition, either his grandparents, his parents, maybe him. And now he's got to pay for it. Remember that story in John chapter 9? It's a great, 
great, very important story. There was a man there who was born blind, and Jesus is about to heal this guy, and the disciples asked the question, which was the prevailing thought of the day, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Prevailing thought. If you're sick, if you're diseased, if you're maimed or blind or deaf or paralyzed or a leper, it's your fault. You're getting what you deserved. It's like wearing a sign that said, I did it. I'm bad. And as a result, these kinds of people were shunned by society. They didn't have to walk down the street like the leper and yell, unclean, but they were seen much the same way. This was the prevailing thought of the day. You remember, the, you remember Job? Job was called a holy and blameless man by God himself. But then he lost, in one day he lost his wealth and, and then all of his family. Shortly thereafter he lost his health. And so then the righteous people who had all of the religious answers show up. His so-called friends came to see him and said, It's obvious, Job, this is your fault. You've got some sin in your life. You did it wrong. What did you do, Job? And since he wouldn't confess anything, they made stuff up about him. So which is it? So which is it? Am I sick because of specific sin? Maybe. Maybe not. Again, we do understand that sickness is a result of sin. We've, we have talked about this. When sin entered into the world, it drug in a couple of nasty things with it. When sin came into the world, it brought in sickness and death. We have seen Jesus up to this point deal with uh, one of the symptoms, namely sickness. We're going to see him deal with death a little bit later, but now he's going to deal with the real problem, sin itself, which, is, which leads us to the greatest miracle. Regardless... Whether this man was a horrible sinner who got this specific illness does not matter, and it does not matter in your life. You are, and he was, a sinner. Getting what he deserved, just like you. Sickness is a picture, you see, a reminder of the awfulness of sin and the consequences of our sinful choices. And I want to say to you today that there is nothing that you can do about your condition. You are, as, you are as able to help yourself as this paralytic. This man had to bear the stigma of not only being sick, but being full of sin. And with every stare, he was indicted. And some of you feel the same shame, even, even if not publicly you know in your heart of hearts you share the same shame. This is the picture. Here's a guy who stayed away from crowds all of his life except maybe to beg because people did not like him. He was dirty. He was unclean. And then came the news that Jesus was back in town. He had no doubt heard uh, others healed of paralysis. We were told in chapter 1 he was healing people of all kinds of diseases. So his friends carried him to the house where Jesus was staying. Jesus is on the inside teaching. There's such a great crowd gathered they can't get to the door. Certainly not four men carrying a stretcher. 
His hopes begin to fade, but someone has an idea. Let's take him to the top, lower him through the roof. We'll make a hole if we have to. They get to the roof. They begin the demolition process. Literally, the wording is they unroofed the roof. (laughs) They dug a hole. You see, at this time, there were cross beams across the outer walls they were then, those cross beams were then covered with thatch, and then you took mud to finish it all off and stomped it down so that you could stand on it. So there you are. You're listening to Jesus. He is speaking as usual with authority. He is speaking words that you have never heard before. Suddenly there is a commotion above you. The roof literally starts to come apart. Once the dirt and dust and thatch settles, you look up and see a man being lowered down on a cot. Suddenly, every uh, slowly, I mean, every eye turns to Jesus. What is he going to do? I mean, think about it. He's teaching. This man just interrupted. Will Jesus rebuke the man? Dude, I'm in the middle of a talk here. What are you doing? Who's going to fix the roof? Put yourself in the man's cot. You've been shunned, called names, cursed probably all your life. You've carried with you the stigma of being a sinner, of doing it wrong. Some of the people there know you, probably all of them. They begin whispering among themselves. You can hear them. You can't see them. Remember, you're laying flat on your back. You're looking at a hole in the ceiling as your friends lower you down. You're not sure where Jesus is. You look to the left. You look to the right as you get eye level with the people, and then you see Him. Your eyes lock. Your eyes are filled with terror. Your eyes are filled with fear. What will happen? Will the people begin to berate you as they had done so many times in the past? More importantly, more importantly, what will Jesus do? Which brings us to the next point, the spiritual healing that Jesus extends. Verse 5, seeing their faith. Whose faith? Whose faith? The faith of the four friends, most certainly so, and the faith of the paralyzed man. Their faith that Jesus could do something about his condition, the kind of faith that is required for Jesus to do something about our condition. This man was unable to do anything about himself. He's laying flat on his back. But he has faith that Jesus can do something. And so Jesus said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? I'm confused. What, what did you just say? He called him son. It's a term of endearment. Could be translated child. Child, you have no reason to fear. The reason I'm saying that he was perhaps terrified is because uh, in Matthew's account, the very first thing that he says is take courage. Don't be afraid. But that's not all he said. You thought you were coming, you see, for physical healing. You, you hoped in your heart of hearts, you hoped that you would be able to walk out of there. But never, ever in your wildest dreams did you think that you would hear these words, your sins are forgiven. Can that be? <laughs> Can that be for you? What was Jesus doing? He was meeting this man's greatest need. Well, the man wanted to walk, Jesus was able to look into his heart and see that he had a greater need. He didn't need, he, he, he didn't just, you see, Jesus, you see, didn't just remove his paralysis, he removed his sin. You see that? 
It's the reason he'd come to earth, to seek and to save those who were lost, to give his life a ransom for many. He could have come, listen, Jesus could have come and healed every person of every disease and every sickness and everything, everything that plagued mankind, every leper restored, every blind eye made to see, every lame man made to walk, every paralyzed person made whole, everyone with cancer made clean, but physical healing is not our greatest need. If Jesus came and did that and gave you everything that your, heart's desire, that your heart could desire and left you in your sin, you would be helpless and hopeless. Physical healing is not our greatest need. Calming storms is not our greatest need. Casting out demons is not our greatest need. Those are all just symptoms, the effects of our greatest need. It does not matter whether this man causes his own paralysis. Sickness is the result of sin. Maybe not his specific sin, maybe so. But it was certainly the result of what sin drug in with it. And this man needed spiritual healing more than physical healing. Our greatest need is to have sins forgiven to be restored to God, to hear the words, your sins are forgiven. Do you understand what I am saying? The greatest miracle is not, the greatest miracle is not that the paralytic walked. The greatest miracle is that he came from spiritual death to spiritual life. Can you imagine the emotion that must have filled the man? People perhaps hated him. Jesus loved him. People rejected him. Jesus accepted him. People avoided him. Jesus received him. People cursed him. Jesus blessed him. Just like you. Just like me. Not everyone, of course, was impressed with the event, which brings us to the response of the scribes. There were religious people there, as there always seemed to be. Luke tells us there were Pharisees there as well. The Pharisees and the scribes began to reason within themselves, why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Why were they calling this blasphemy? Because they understood that no one but God could forgive sin. They didn't get it. They didn't understand that they were in the very presence of God. This is Mark's point up to this point in the gospel is to get us to understand that Jesus is the very Son of God. They missed it. You also should understand something else at this point. These scribes didn't like the fact that Jesus would actually forgive a paralytic who had done nothing to earn forgiveness. Do you understand that? The religious people always want you to work for what you get. That's what they were doing after all. They thought, scribes, Pharisees, they were acceptable to God because they kept a list of rules. Here was a man who couldn't keep a list of rules even if he wanted to, and Jesus had the audacity to look at him and say, your sins are forgiven. Wait just a minute, Jesus, what do you think you're doing? Only God can forgive sins. They were right about that. They just didn't realize who Jesus was, but not only that, you can't forgive sins just like that. He hasn't done anything to deserve it. He hasn't kept our rules. He hasn't done what we think is necessary to be accepted. And that's where they were wrong. You see, this man is a perfect picture of what Jesus 
looks for to forgive. He was paralyzed. Nothing that he could do about his condition. He was broken. There was nothing he could do to help himself. And Jesus said, you meet the qualifications. You only have faith. That's all you need. I like that. I'll heal that. I'll fix that. I was reading a book this morning, had a little extra time since we didn't have our early service. Reading a book this morning, uh, Michael Horton tell, reminds us that the only thing that we need in order to be saved, the only thing that we bring to the table, the only thing we need is the fact that we are terrible, horrible, rotten sinners. Do you realize that? You're in a place where you can be saved. It's the only thing you bring. Christianity is the only religion in the world that teaches the forgiveness of sins is a free gift through another. I need you to hear that this morning. You you come to Jesus, as it were, lying on a mat, clinging to nothing but faith, clinging to nothing that you can do. Jesus says, I can take care of that. I can forgive that. Don't bring me your works. You're paralyzed. You have no works. You're dead. You can't do anything about it. But he can, and he did. Jesus, knowing the thoughts of the scribes and Pharisees, does a little teaching here. He starts by asking a couple of very interesting questions. Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Don't miss the irony here. They're upset that Jesus is doing something that only God can do. And in the meantime, he does something only God can do. He reads their minds. How would you answer the question, what is easier to say? How would you answer it? Jesus is making a point. There is a sense, physically speaking, in which saying your sins are forgiven is easier. There's a sense in which that is true. How so? Because there's no way to verify it. Anybody can say it. I could say it to you. You could say it to me. How do we know it's true? People all over the world say it. Hey, your sins are forgiven. How do we know it's true? There's no way to verify it. But if I say to you, get up and walk, that's verifiable. You either do or you don't. So saying that is much more difficult, humanly speaking, but now spiritually speaking, which is more difficult to say? Obviously, your sins are forgiven because only God can do that. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. And nobody can do that for you. What about Jesus? What is more difficult for him to say? That's the point. Neither one. He can say and do whatever he wants. But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, so that you know it because you need something that you can see, Jesus says, I'll do one that for you would be more difficult And to the man, he says, get up, pick up your pallet, go home. And the man did. And one author said it this way. I love this. He did the miracle which they could see that they may know that he had done the other one they could not see. That's why he did it. The man already had everything for eternity he could ever want. Who needs to walk when you can have sins forgiven? This is the first, by the way, of 14 times that Jesus uses his favorite term to describe himself, the Son of Man. 
it, it, it certainly points to his identification with humanity in the incarnation that we just celebrated a couple days ago. Uh, it, it speaks of his, it, Son of Man gives, speaks of his future suffering. Certainly it includes that. But here it is also his, uh, a reference to his authority on earth to forgive sins. You see, this takes us right back to Daniel chapter 7. And this Son of Man was given authority by God. Who can do this but God alone? You got it. You notice that, 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 that Jesus does not try to correct the, the, the scribes and Pharisees who are reasoning this. Year. Oh, I see. You think that I'm, oh, no, 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 I'm not forgiving. Yes, he was. He does not try to correct their thinking. He affirms their thinking. You're right. Only God can forgive sins. What's your point? I have been saying one of the primary messages in these miracles is this, Jesus is God. He has authority over disease, He has authority over nature, He has authority over demons, He has, he has authority over sins. Praise God. He demonstrated that power. And so we can know that He has the power to deal with our greatest need today. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you need to be reminded of that. You need to know no matter how secret, how debilitating, how paralyzing, how awful your sin is, Jesus has the power and authority to forgive even your sin. You say, you have no idea what I've done. It does not matter. I have a God who's bigger. He can forgive your sins. Every time he heals a sick body, every time he drives out a demon, it points to the greatest truth, the greatest miracle of all. He can heal your heart. <laughs> he can make you clean. He can forgive your sin. People's response, they were amazed, glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Like what, a paralytic walking? Sure. Sin's forgiven, you bet. We've never seen anything like this, and you won't see it anywhere else but in Jesus. Brings us to our, back to the beginning as we close. Have you ever felt like that you wanted to see a miracle? You did. If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you ever said to him, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died for my sins. Please forgive me. He did. And he performed the greatest miracle that has ever been performed. And he did it in your life. You have not missed a thing. You're living at just the right time. You want to see a miracle today? Then be like these four friends. Do whatever it takes. Tear holes in ceilings if necessary to take people to Jesus. It is, after all, why we're still here. Someone, find someone who is lying helpless and hopeless, who can do nothing about their condition, who at the end of the day, despite all of their best efforts, need a healing touch or they die. Take that person to Jesus. Tell them what Jesus can do to meet needs. Tell them what Jesus can do to meet the greatest need of all. Tell them how that Jesus can forgive sins, not just any sins, his sin, her sin. Then listen to them pray to receive Christ and witness again the greatest miracle of all. I believe that. Finally, it may be that that's just what some of you need this morning. You need to hear the words, not from me, 
not from your spouse, not from your parents, not from your kids, not from your coworkers. You need to hear from God himself the words, your, your sins are forgiven. And I say to you by the authority of the word of God and the power and authority of Jesus Christ, if you will confess your sins to him, he will forgive you and you will hear the words, you are forgiven. What a great miracle. Let's stand for prayer.